Uh, Nehemiah chapter 12, and tonight we're going to be uh, looking together at verses 27 uh, to 47 of Nehemiah uh, chapter 12. So let me begin uh, by reading. Uh, This is God's word. So let's listen carefully as he speaks to us. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophites, from Beth Gilgal, and from the area of Geba and Asmaveth. For the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they had purified the people, the gates, and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed off the top of the wall to the right towards the dung gate. Hoshaiah and half the leaders of Judah followed them, along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshalem, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, as well as some priests with trumpets, and also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mathaniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zachar, the son of Asaph, and his associates, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Mai, Nathanel, Judah, and Hanani, with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed above the site of David's palace to the water gate on the east. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall, together with half the people, past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, over the gate of Ephraim and Jeshaniah gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Sheep Gate, at the gate of the guard, they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials, as well as the priests, Eliakim, Maesiah, Miniamin, Micaiah, Eliane, Zechariah, and Hananiah with their trumpets, and also Maesiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehonanan, Malchijah, Elam, and Ezer. The choirs sang under the direction of Jezrahiah. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for their contributions, first fruits and tithes. 
From the fields around the towns, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites, for Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did also the musicians and gatekeepers according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the musicians and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. They also set aside the portion for the other Levites, and the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. This is God's word. Well, God's people have always been a singing people. Uh, All through the Old Testament, we see God's people singing at various times. Uh, We see them singing after uh, great victories. Uh, And we see in the book of Psalms uh, 150 different songs uh, that God's people would sing. Uh, Even today in churches where Christians have to meet in secret, we can read of Christians who will even whisper the praises of God together so that they cannot be heard by those that might capture them, but so that they can sing God's praises because Christians are a singing people. In our passage from Nehemiah today, we have a a people of God gathering together to praise him. And they praise him in joyful song. This is a celebration of the greatness of God and the great work of God that he has done in Jerusalem. And it teaches us how we as God's people are to worship him together as the people of God today. So I've entitled uh, this uh, sermon, Congregational Worship. That's what we're going to be thinking about as we look at this congregation of Old Testament people uh, worshipping God together. So in the book of Nehemiah, the wall was completed in chapter 6 and verse 15 after just 52 days. But the dedication service was not immediately after the wall was completed. It seems that Nehemiah wanted to ensure that there was not uh, one big celebration and life just went back to what it was before. He wanted a lasting legacy and so worked for the reviving of the people through the preaching of God's word, through the confession of the people's sins, through repentance, and through making sure, as we looked at last week, that people were established and settled in the city of Jerusalem so that the temple work could continue. And after all of that's been done, there is now in this chapter a dedication service that dedicates the wall of Jerusalem that has just been rebuilt. But this dedication service teaches us about congregational worship. Because as New Testament people, we meet regularly to worship God in song. We meet to worship God, not exactly like they do here. We'll see there are obviously, obviously differences. But nevertheless, we worship God in song and rejoicing and celebrate his goodness together. In fact, we're commanded to. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 to 20, we read this. 
Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are, as Christians, to sing, giving thanks to God through Jesus Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, the people gathered together here to give thanks to God in song and in the way that they worshipped. So we're going to look at the, the congregational worship in Nehemiah 12 and draw out the timeless truths that apply to how we worship as God's people today. And there's five truths that I want to draw out from uh, the verses we looked at uh, in verses 27 to 47. All of these truths are to do with congregational worship. So the first truth I want us to see is that in terms of congregational worship, its purpose is, is clear. Its purpose is clear. So in verse 27, we read of the purpose of their worship. So they bring out the Levites, where the worship leaders came from, to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. Notice the purpose. It was to celebrate joyfully what God had done. And really, when we meet together as God's people today, we meet together to celebrate together what God has done. Each week, uh, we make mention of the work that God has done through Jesus Christ. We preach the gospel. Uh, we celebrate the wonderful greatness of our God and what he has done for us in Christ. And here, they meet together to celebrate joyfully what God had done in their day, the building of the wall. And this purpose is fulfilled in a number of ways in uh, these verses. So notice how they offer thanksgiving and praise in song. Uh, it, notice uh, in how the musicians are brought together in verses 28 and 29 uh, from the surrounding villages. So the purpose is they call the musicians because they want to sing. Uh, they're not, you know, they're, 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 the singing is important. And notice how some of the musicians even uh, built villages for themselves to live in in verse 29. Not saying this, I'm not, we're drawing out the principles, not saying this is what all our musicians must do, go and live together in some kind of commune around uh, close by the church. But the reason that they did this, here's the important thing, is that the, the worship of God in song was so important that the musicians wanted to be able to have easy access to the temple so that they could go there and lead in worship. And so in order to make things uh, easier for them to, to serve, they took it so far as to move in around together in these villages. So they, 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 they offer thanksgiving and praise in song. The singing is vital to the celebration uh, of what God has done. So they sing. Secondly, notice how they remember together what God has done. They remember. So we're going to see them uh, in a minute. Walk. We're not going to literally see them, but we're going to imagine them. Uh, walking around the walls of Jerusalem. And they're looking at what's going, what, what was built and what, what has happened. 
and they'll be reminded of God's work as they are walking around Jerusalem. And so the sung worship is a response to the work of God. And that's what we do today. When we sing, we're responding to truth, the truth about who God is and what God has done. So when we preach God's word in our church, we declare the wonders of God, and then together as a congregation, we respond by by singing, turning those truths back to God in praise. We remember what God has done, and we respond uh, by singing. And the purpose is to, to celebrate that greatness of God. And thirdly, uh, the, the, their purpose is also to witness to the world. A bit later on in verse 43, we'll see that the singing was heard far away. So their worship, their rejoicing, was a witness to the world around them of the greatness of God. Now, of course, that doesn't cover all of what we do as a church. That doesn't cover all of the kind of songs we might sing. But the main purpose of meeting together is really to serve God by singing to God in praise. It's to remember his work and it's to be a witness to our world. And so when we come to church, let's remember our purpose. We're not here primarily to catch up with people. We're not here primarily to to play games next door in the fellowship hall. We're not here primarily to just receive ourselves. All those things are good. All those things can be really good. The primary purpose of our meeting together is to worship God. And we do that by praising him together as his people and remembering and reminding each other of the glorious truths of the gospel. So the purpose of congregational worship is clear. It's to celebrate joyfully what God has done. Secondly, its people are pure. Look at verse 30. It says, When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. So before coming to worship God, they made sure that they, the people, and the wall were ceremonially clean. And this would have involved certain ways of washing according to the Old Testament law. The point being here that they could not just casually enter God's presence without considering whether they were clean. Because they're approaching a holy God. They cannot, God cannot be approached by sinful people because he's separate from sin. And so this ceremony of cleansing, of purification, highlighted the truth that we need cleansing if we're going to enter God's presence. Now, as New Testament people, uh, we don't need to have a special kind of wash before coming to church. It's not necessarily a bad idea for for some of us, I'm sure. But we don't have to, you know, because it's Sunday, I'm going to, you know, position my shower in a different place or anything silly like that. But we do have to be pure before God. We do have to ensure that we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We do have to be washed by his blood given as our sacrifice for sin in our place. And furthermore, before we come to praise him together, it's good practice to confess our sins to God. 
And to see if there's anything we need to repent of. It's good that we, we might think, well, is there anybody I need to be reconciled with before I come into God's presence and meet his people to worship? Jesus speaks on the Sermon on the Mount of, of going away and being reconciled before you come and offer a gift on the altar. So do you examine yourself ever before coming to church or do you just rush into God's presence without thinking at all? I think the point here is not to come unthinkingly. We come to a, a holy God. And I think that's the point as well of the wall being purified. The wall itself was being set apart as an offering to God. It reminded the people that this wall that we've built is, is God's wall. And when we come to church, we need to remember that this is God's church. These are God's people. In fact, all that we have is God's, isn't it? And so when we come to worship, we need to come with an awareness that we come to the Lord Almighty. And we come to meet with his bride, whom he loves so much that he gave his son for it. And so when we come, we want to come reverently, and we want to come with the intention of blessing his bride, of, of blessing others. Now in this passage, we do see much joy and much celebration, but that does not equate to frivolity. There is a seriousness here to our worship, a seriousness that doesn't mean everything has to be somber and depressing, but neither should it be frivolous and silly. Joyful, but serious. True worship of God can only be given by those who are his holy people, who've had their sins forgiven and are pure in his sight. If that's not you, then your worship is not acceptable to God. We need to be cleansed by Jesus' blood. His people are pure. Those are the ones who offer worship in his congregation. Thirdly, in regards to congregational worship, we see that its planning is thought out. Its planning is thought out. Uh, Nehemiah speaks in the first person in verse 31, and he describes in uh, the, ne the next few verses the order of service, if you like, for the dedication of the wall. And in this service, two uh, large choirs were to give thanks as they walked around the circumference of the wall. Now again, we're not going to do this as a church. This isn't uh, prescriptive of how we're supposed to worship. Uh, but this is what they did. They, were, they, they, they uh, had two congregations. One, I would say the ones that were unfortunate, had to walk towards the dung gate. I say unfortunate because the dung gate was probably exactly what you're thinking. And the others would go in the opposite direction and walk around the walls and then they would meet uh, in the middle. And when they, when they met, they would then go to the house of God, to the temple, and they would have what effectively is an exuberant praise service uh, at the temple, and that spilled out of the temple into the surrounding areas because not everyone would fit in the temple. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if Psalm 48 that we read earlier was not written for this particular service that Nehemiah 
has put together here. Notice verses 12 to 14 of uh, Psalm 48. Walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers, consider well her ramparts, view her citadels that ye may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. So you notice what's going on in Psalm 48 is exactly what Nehemiah is doing in Nehemiah. They are walking around Zion, around Jerusalem. They are looking at the wall and counting it. And they're no no doubt seeing uh, the parts that each one of the people uh, helped to build and all of those kind of things. They'd be considering what God had done. They'd be saying, look, I was involved in this bit. And they might even tell their their son or daughter, look, this is the bit that dad did. And they would remember what God has done through them as they built the wall. But what I want you to notice is that this service was, was planned by Nehemiah. Notice the organization that goes into it. He organizes two choirs. He lists their names, which uh, they would be able to pronounce far better than I did. Uh, he takes note of the direction each choir was to travel in. And then notice verse 36, what they used for their worship with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. So they they worshipped according to what David had prescribed in God's word. They they looked at what David had done and they thought, well, let's do that. Let's use the instruments he did. Let's sing the songs he wrote. They planned what they were going to do. This was not a chaotic kind of fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of worship service, this was a planned, thought-out act of worship to God. They honored God by being prepared and thought out with attention being paid to the scriptures through the writings of David. So congregational worship is something that, for the most part, is planned. Now, I say, uh, for the most part... Because there are times when it's good, when we might meet up together and we might just sing. And we we might pray. And all sorts of things like that are are wonderful. We might do that if you're in your home group, for example. You might be sitting together uh, and you might, someone might just want to sing and we we might do that. And that's, those times are wonderful. Uh, I'm not saying that that can never happen. The, The Holy Spirit does move us and there is and can be spontaneity, but I would argue that that is the exception, not the rule in terms of congregational worship. Because some people have this idea that unless something is spontaneous, then the Holy Spirit's not working at all, forgetting the fact that the Holy Spirit works very much in our preparation as well. He's not only at work in the spontaneous. And for the most part, congregational worship is done according to the patterns we find in the scriptures, we, we sing according to uh, what God has written. We sing truth, in other words. Uh, the songs we sing are drawn from the Bible. Uh, we, we, we think about what we're singing. Uh, when we choose songs, as, uh, when we're leading the service, we, we consider how the truth links to what we're actually going to be saying that particular service. Um, so, for example, we, we, we plan uh, not to have a really joyful, happy song to speak of a somber truth like judgment, for example. And we think about the tunes that we're uh, going to play. If, we're, if we're, we're singing about hell, we're not going to be jumping around and clapping. 
So we think and plan about how we're going to, to, to worship together as a congregation. Contrary to what many people believe, we don't just show up and everything just falls into place. It's planned and prepared, and, and that's honoring to God. But this isn't just for the leaders of the services and the musicians to think through. We also ought to prepare ourselves for congregational worship. We can prepare by reading ahead on what's going to be preached, on, on spending time praying for those who are leading in worship. And we can come with our own attitudes right. We can plan to come to church and ready to listen to what God says and ready to sing God's praises uh, without just uh, showing up and being a spectator, you see? Congregational worship has its planning thought out. Fourthly, its praise is joyous. So some people have in their minds that uh, seriousness about purity and planning equates to dull and boring. Well, that's not true. In this passage, we see that as the people take their purity and their planning seriously, there is great joyfulness among the people. This is anything but dull. So in verses 40 to 42, the two choirs, along with the officials and priests, go to the house of God. And they sang, we read, under the direction of Jezrahiah. Now, I presume that not everyone could fit in the temple, which is why there was a select group that could go in. But all around Jerusalem, they were all involved, the whole people of God, in this celebration service. But notice verse 43. This is a, a key verse on, on this point. It says here, notice how many times you hear words about joy and rejoice. On that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing, because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. In the Hebrew, the root word for joy is found five times in just that verse. It's, it's full of joy, full of rejoicing. Great sacrifices were made. Great joy was expressed. And notice why there is great joy. God had given them joy. This wasn't manufactured joy. This wasn't kind of, um, let's, let's, let's try really hard and, and, uh, and, and make ourselves joyful. This was joy given by God because of what God has done for them. It was, it was from their hearts, joy that came from the inside out. And as we as God's people remember and, 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 and to think about, again, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that he has come, God has come from heaven to earth to dwell with us and to die for our sins. And he's risen from the dead. And we, we take that on board. And the Spirit shows us the reality of these things. And the, and the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. Well, in the words of Psalm 40, verse 3, he puts a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. And those verses in that psalm come after we're told he lifts us out of the miry clay and he sets our feet on the rock. And so when we recognize what God has done for us, we don't have to you know, wind ourselves up with some kind of, 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 of thing to wind ourselves up with and make ourselves joyful. We have that from the heart because of what God has done for us. 
Christians want to sing because there's a song there that God has placed in our hearts. Notice as well how this singing involved the women and children too. In other words, uh, it was all of God's people. We've seen that a lot in Nehemiah, by the way. All of God's people involved in the work of God and in his service. But here they're all involved in the singing. And notice that the volume was so great that it could be heard far away. So the fact that the women and the children were singing and the volume was so loud meant that everybody was participating in this worship service. Uh, when I was growing up um, in, uh, in Devon, I used to play football for a lot of different football teams. And we'd play football in a place in Plymouth called Central Park. And Central Park was a massive park in the center of which was Plymouth Argyle Football Club's home ground, home park. And whenever we were playing football and there was a match going on, every so often... Not as often as I would have liked, uh, the crowd would be roaring because there was a goal that was scored. And you would hear the crowd roaring from all over Central Park. Wherever you were, you could hear the roar of the crowd as they celebrated Plymouth Argyle scoring a goal. Now, as I say, it didn't happen that often, but sometimes uh, you were playing football and we'd stop what we were doing because all of a sudden you'd be hearing this crowd roaring. And a similar kind of thing is going on here in Nehemiah. People from far away can hear the Jewish people rejoicing, celebrating what God has done. And from far away, people might be saying, what are, what are those Jews doing? There, there's real joy there. They're, they're, they're celebrating. They're rejoicing. And our singings, similarly, should not be timid. We should sing boldly and loudly obviously with a tune, not just shouting, but loudly, so that even when people are walking past this building, they know those people are worshipping God. So do you throw yourselves into the worship of God in our church? Or do you only sing if you like the song? Do you worry about, well, what might other people think about me if I'm singing? Or do you enter into God's praise because he is worthy? Isn't, isn't he worthy of our praise? Don't worry about what people think. I've, my voice is not very good. I might be allowed to be here. I'd never be allowed to be there. But I want to praise God because he is worthy. Isn't he of our praise? A congregation of God's people praise him joyfully because he has given us great joy. Now, I know, just by the way, that there are times uh, when we don't feel able to sing. I understand there are times that are hard. But those times are not the normative state for God's people. What's normal is joyful praise. So its purpose is clear. Its people are pure. Its planning is thought out. Its praise is joyous. And finally, its permanence is established. This is what we see uh, towards the end in verses 44 to 47. So verse 43 gives us this amazing worship experience that they're having. This amazing, joyful, uh, happy time of, of rejoicing in song. And then verse 44 seems to bring us back down to earth when Nehemiah reverts back to organizing the tithing and uh, who's in charge of, of what and where. And you may think, well, what a come down. Why don't you just end at verse 43 and we can all sing and be happy? 
Why have we got to go into more organizing? Well, the point is that the, the, the congregation of worship that was going on here was not supposed to be a one-off service. This was to be a permanent thing that God's people were doing. And so in verse 44 to 47, he puts, uh, puts in place what is needed to enable it to continue. So in verse 44, he appoints a treasurer to look after the contributions that go in the storerooms. And the people continued to be faithful in their giving so that the work could continue with people being paid to lead it. But I want you to notice verse 44, why they were giving to the, the, the church. It says from, uh, to the uh, temple work, from the fields around the towns, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. The people gave because they were pleased that the ministering priests and Levites were leading them well. And we know they led them well because in verse 45, we see that they were leading according to the scriptures. They purified themselves according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. So they were following God's word. And ministers who are faithful in leading their people according to the scriptures are able to be supported by God's people to do his work. And it's, they're pleased with them because they can see that those ministers were leading them to God in worship through his word and in praise. And I just would make a point here of saying that one of the blessings for us as, as staff in this church, as we, as we lead God's people here, is that we know that you support the ministry of the word here. Uh, we are so blessed that you love to hear God's word preached. We know you do. Not just because uh, you, you tell us that you appreciate the word, but your generosity to us as a church is really um, humbling for us. And we know that you give and you, you support us, not because we're amazing people, but because we want to want to teach you what God's word says. We, we, we simply want to lead you to Jesus. And we are humbled and blessed by your generosity to us in supporting us to do that because you love God's word as well. So that's what's going on here. They support the, the ministers because the ministers are leading them in their worship of God. And I just wanted to make that point of thanks as it's in the passage here how much we appreciate and are blessed by you. But if there were no leaders set apart for this work, then this worship wouldn't continue. And so the point here really is Nehemiah puts people responsible for handling the money and such things so that the work could carry on. And if we want the congregational worship of God to continue here, then we need to be all faithfully supporting the church to enable people to lead both in our prayers and in our finances as well. But the big point of this passage as a whole is that God is good to us and is worthy of our joyful praise. Now, they were dedicating here a wall, which we may think, well, that doesn't sound all that exciting, but for them it really was. It was an amazing work that God did that they could build this wall. 
And if we were there at the time, we would have been celebrating with them and, and joyful that God had built this wall through them. However, we have something far greater to celebrate, don't we? Far greater than the wall around Jerusalem. We celebrate a risen Savior who's delivered us from sin and death and is calling a people to himself. We celebrate that our God has sent his only son to die on the cross in our place for our sins. And we celebrate the fact that he has risen from the dead. And we celebrate the fact that he lives in us by his spirit. And we celebrate the fact that we can look forward to the day when we will be with him in heaven for all eternity. And guess what we're going to be doing there? We're going to be singing. We're going to be doing what God's people have always done. We're going to be a singing people, celebrating forever and ever the glorious gospel and the wonderful God who has given it to us. We are going to be doing that forever with God's people in that great congregation in the days to come. So what better way to respond to a passage like this than to sing. So that's what we're going to do as a congregation. Uh, We're going to sing and we're going to celebrate. And so I would encourage you, uh, like in verse 43, let's rejoice because God has given us great joy. Let's sing whether you're a man, a woman, or a child. And let the sound of our rejoicing be heard even from outside this building as we celebrate the amazing uh, God who has given us such a glorious gospel. So we're going to sing two songs, All Creatures of Our God and King, and Your Love Has Lifted Me, which, by the way, is where we, it comes from Psalm 40, where God has given us the new song in our hearts. So let's stand and let's celebrate our wonderful Savior.
After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing round the throne and round the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.